Welcome to Rise Resolute. I am beyond excited to have Roseanne Carter with us today. She's a family infant mental health therapist and a cancer survivor. She's a runner. She's a stylist for Stella and Dot, raising money for women diagnosed with cancer. And she has an amazing heart and an amazing story. So I'm so happy that she's here with us today. Hi, Roseanne. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited about this. And before we get started, I'm going to um, give our fantastic quote that we're going to weave through this episode today. And the quote is this, vulnerability is not weakness. It is our greatest measure of courage. And Roseanne is going to share with us today um, part of her journey, and um, we're going to weave that quote through her wisdom and the things that she's learned on the road that she's traveled. So I'm so excited to get started. Um, Roseanne, if you would just give us a little intro on you. Absolutely. I am a mom of two kids. I have an eight-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl. I am a wife to a wonderful husband, Brian, and I, like you said, I'm an infant mental health therapist. I started my journey working with families and children, gosh, more than 20 years ago. And my journey really started in high school where I um, had an amazing neighbor who was fundraising for City of Hope, um, a hospital in California that um, has made tremendous breakthrough in cancer research. And I, you know, started fundraising for City of Hope for her and with her and knew then and there that I had wanted to become a child life specialist working with children with cancer and knew that going into college so did lots of um, volunteering there and got involved with an incredible organization at the University of Iowa called the Marathon and we fundraise an incredible amount of money for families with children with cancer and went on to Seattle Children's Hospital to become a uh, child life specialist. We spent seven years there working Again, families of children with cancer, and the wealth of knowledge that I learned from children and families was something that I could never learn from in school, in books. And fast um, forward to 2006, I was diagnosed with melanoma, and I was probably about 29, um, and that diagnosis really was surprising. And was found by surprise and luckily did not need any chemo or any other treatment other than just the removal of the melanoma. And let's see, so fast forward now to 2017. We, um, we, my family and I, we had just moved into our new house. This was in August of 2017. And two months later, I would say in August, at the end of August, we um, after settling in, I was in the shower and I had found a lump. I was not doing the self exam. I was just, um, you know, in the shower uh-huh. and on my back. And I honestly didn't say anything to anyone. So I thought, oh, it's probably nothing. It's not a big deal. But it's one of those things that was on my mind. And I was obsessed with trying to feel it in every day. Like, is it still there? Is it still there? And a week later, was still there, and I finally said something to my husband, who clearly was upset, and, you know, he needed to call the doctor, and, you know, I think the important part here is to know that I am very healthy, I rarely get sick, rarely ever go to the doctor, and I think that's one of the things that I um, 
I don't want to say I regret, but I am more mindful now that we need to know our body. And I, I did not call the doctor right away. Okay. This is in, um, this is in August. Um, September rolled around. And, of course, you know, back to school, things are busy. I'm a full-time working mom. I was busy. And that was kind of not a priority for me to call the doctor. And at the end of September, my husband's father passed away unexpectedly. And so that was more of a priority in my life, just thinking about family and, um, you know, being present there. And finally, uh, my husband reminded me that you called the doctor. And I did not. And so I finally made an appointment. This was in August, or sorry, October. So October 3rd is my first appointment. Okay. And I think once I was in that office, I knew. I don't, you know, you just had that gut feeling. And it wasn't until I was sitting in the office looking at the doctor and saying, I found this lump where I just had this feeling this is not going to be good. And right away, she sent me up for a diagnostic mammogram. That was the next day. And then after that, there was an ultrasound. And after that, there was a biopsy. The doctor that did the biopsy uh, said, we'll give you a call and we'll let you know. And I'm one of those people, like, I kind of need to know. It was on Friday. I didn't want to wait the whole weekend. And I just said to her, I think that what you know in your work You've seen this a million times. Are you already seeing something that is of concern? And she just took a big, deep breath and went, and that's all I really needed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and she she was honest and said, you know, uh, yes, I do see something that is concerning, and I've been wrong. Uh, we will call you, and we'll let you know. And so October 10th. 2017, I was in the office at work by myself, got a phone call from the nurse. Um, the first, I think the first word out of her mouth and probably the only words that I really remember were, you have less breath invasive memory carcinoma. And then I think all of that after that was a blur. I bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so um, after the diagnosis, I know you had quite a journey. Um, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about what happened after you were diagnosed? And, you know, even in that moment, that moment of vulnerability of just asking the doctor, do you think this is doesn't look good? I mean, just kind of putting myself, um, thinking about what that might feel like, I can't imagine, Roseanne. And so, you know, I just commend you for your strength. Um, but yeah, please tell us a little bit more now about the journey after the diagnosis. Where was your mental state when once you got the diagnosis? Were you ready to tackle it? Were you, how were you feeling? Yeah, yeah. So the first day was just a roller coaster of emotions, you know, everything from just tears and sadness to I got this. And my, the first place my mind went to, uh, in my class, but you know, where, uh, my kids, you know, how, you know, how, I think when you hear the word cancer, you think, yeah, right. And even though in the work I've done, I know that cancer does not equal death, but just when all of a sudden it's you, your mind, or my mind went to the, that dark place. And so, and I think I, I needed to let myself get to that dark place so that I could get out. Cause that dark place is not, a fun place to be. Yeah. It's scary and overwhelming and yucky. I mean, you know, it just, it's not a good place to be in. But like I said, I needed to get 
to that place and just cry that ugly cry and fall into my husband's arms and just get all of that out so that I can rise and so that I can continue to be vulnerable and fight the fight. And so that was the first day. And the next, I thought, the next couple of weeks was just full of doctor appointments. And when I was ready to tell the world, it was not because I wanted sadness or sympathy or any, it was because I was ready to fight and I was ready to, I knew I couldn't do it by myself. And I knew this fight was bigger than me and that it was for all the women and men that are on this journey or may, or may be on the journey um, or maybe have known people on the journey and just didn't know how to access them, how to support. And so it, it made this journey bigger than me because I knew that there's a bigger purpose than just me. And so I did go on Facebook and I used that as my medium for communicating with everyone. Um, but when I went on, it was more about what do I need from everyone? How am I going to do this and what do I need? And one of the first things I asked for was um, quotes, just positive quotes. That was just, I, I knew I'm a very positive person and so is my husband. So we all we went into this, not even the glass is half full, but it is full, right? And so, and we also knew that we had a community of people behind us, but we didn't know with how incredible the community showed up and our friends and family and in and, and all the ways that they showed up. And we just had no idea how, um, how massive and how far and wide that would, um, that would, it would be and to spread. And so I am um, for asking for help was, I think, in knowing what I needed. Right. Yeah. I in the beginning. I, and one of the quotes that one of our cousin, we have a cousin in Ireland who I love dearly. And he had posted, was one of the first people who posted a quote. And I just loved it because it really stuck with me throughout my whole journey and, and now. And I share it with others. So the quote is, you don't have a right to the cards you believe you should have been dealt. You have an obligation to play the hell out of the ones you're holding. And that quote just stuck with me. And it was so true. You know, I didn't ever want to be in that place of, why me? Why me? But how am I going to do this? And how am I going to fight? And so that is really the start of recognizing the importance of vulnerability and what happens when you share yourself with the world and with those that are close to you and how they can show up. I love that. Um, and I think that's a fantastic quote. Um, as all of you know, my listeners, I also enjoy quotes. <laughs> and that's a great one. Um, and so I will post a link to that quote in the show notes also. Um, it's just fantastic. And, I, you know, I love some of the things that you shared um, about the journey up to now. I, I really, I think there's so much value. And you said getting to that dark place so that you could find your way out. Because we do, we have to make ourselves vulnerable and feel those emotions and ride the tide and, you know, really um, let ourselves live in that space so that we can then, you know, take the next step um, and we can process, you know, and go through, go through the steps that we need to do to come out on the other side. And I also loved when you said I couldn't do it by myself. And I think just realizing that that is what this podcast is about, too, because 
we are stronger together. And hearing you talk about your community and the way that they showed up for you, your family and your friends and everyone in your life. I mean, that's just a beautiful thing. And I think when we allow people to do that for us, um, we make ourselves vulnerable and we also open the door for such love and such grace. And so anyway, I'm so glad to hear that, that people showed up for you like that. It's fantastic. Well, do you want to share anything else about the, the actual journey in cancer for those who might be going through something similar with breast cancer about any, about your treatment? And it's okay if you, if you don't, Roseanne, but do you, do you want to share a little bit about the treatment that you went through? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. I um so the, one of the first things was to um to do a genetic testing and to make sure that I did not uh, carry a you know maybe a breast cancer mutation and you know just to kind of maybe pinpoint if there's a reason and um, why I have uh, or have breast breast cancer and that was one of the first tests that came back. And to my surprise, it actually came back positive. So I carry the BRCA2 mutation. We all have the BRCA gene. What we all don't have is a mutation on the gene. And there's BRCA1 and BRCA2, and I have BRCA2. And that is inherited by um, a parent, so either your mother or your father. That's right. And I'm going to interrupt you for a really quick second and just tell our listeners, for those who don't know, I think most do, but BRCA2 most notably increases the risk of um, breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And they've also been, it's also been associated with the increased risk of different types of cancer. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Continue, Roseanne. No, that's right. Thank you. Yes. And in fact, this was likely the reason why I was diagnosed with melanoma. Is it up there? Is an increase in and no one else can do this well. So I, um, once that came back, that led me on a different, well, not a different journey, but just another path of finding out more about my family. And uh, nobody I knew, known of that kind of family had been tested. So there was that part of the journey. The other part was um, the treatment. So because of the rapid mutation, I decided because it's such a high risk of breast cancer, you have an 85% chance of getting breast cancer if you have the mutation. So obviously I had already gotten to that point. What I had not decided on was whether I was going to have a unilateral mastectomy, which is just my left breast, or if I was going to go with a double mastectomy. But because I have the mutation, I decided on the double because the chance of it coming back in my right breast is really high. Right. So it decided to go ahead with a double mastectomy and with um, an immediate reconstruction. And that just means that once they removed both breasts, they put in expanders to preserve the skin for uh, breast implants later after treatment when I was ready. And then that was in November. In December, I started chemo. And that was 16 weeks of chemo. And after chemo was uh, five weeks of radiation. The radiation was the um, reconstruction, the best reconstruction, but meaning implants. And because, again, of the BRCA2 mutation, I did decide to have my ovaries removed. I did not. I felt like a, for lack of better words, a ticking time bomb. <laughs> you know, right. I didn't want to wait to find out I had ovarian cancer. I wanted to minimize my risk for that. So I had those removed in January 2019. 
That's right. And before we go any further, too, I just want to touch on something else as well. Um, I think it requires a lot of vulnerability and, and courage to even be tested for the BRCA gene. I know that there are a lot of folks out there who think that they may be at risk and they're afraid to even take that step, Roseanne. So I commend you and that takes a lot of bravery to, to take that step. And you are proof that you can take the step, you can have the information and you can make it through. You can make the decisions to, you know, do do the things that you need to do to keep your body healthy. Um, and you came out the other side of it. And granted, this was just back in January, but here you are to tell us, you know, you came out the other side. So that's very pow powerful for people, I think, as well, to hear that it's it's okay hey, you know, you can take the steps. And we're there. I'm sure there were times when you first found out that you had the gene, you know, that you really struggled um, in your decisions. Can you comment on that at all for me? When you found out you had the BRCA gene itself with the decision to remove the ovaries and to do both the breasts and all that, was it, did it just kind of, once you knew you were like, yeah, of course, you know, this is what we do. And maybe, maybe it was how you felt. Um, just shed a little light on that whole process for people, because I think it's very intimidating to get to be tested for the gene. I don't know if you found that in your experience, but I hear a lot of people say that. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think I was so caught off guard. Like I was surprised. Right. And and I, so what I've been telling I, people and something I really believe in knowledge is power, but I think even more powerful is the fact that it's what you do with it. And so I, it was empowering for me to know that I, I have a choice and that I can make choices. And so with having my ovaries removed, I think that it felt like a no brainer and the interesting thing is it's also something that I don't talk about a lot. And I'm not sure why that is. I'm sitting here reflecting on that a little bit. Like, huh, is it because I'm not sure why. I, I honestly have no idea why I, I did not really talk about that part of my journey. Um, but I think the part that when I found out about the Black Association, I also, a big part of me wanted to access my birth mother side of the family and so when I say birth mother I um I didn't introduce this in the beginning but she was not a part of my life growing up and so I really did not know a lot of medical history of her own medical history and so it required me kind of reconnecting with her and her family and her family I have been in touch with and stayed in touch with over the years and um, but not really her and so we kind of reconnected on that, and because of that, my birth mother and three of her sisters and her brother decided to go get tested to see if they also have the mutation. And my birth mother, three of her sisters, all have the BRCA2 mutation, and her brother does not. Oh, my and so goodness. That, yeah. Um, I feel like it's, a, it's part of a journey and also just a different part of my own journey of reconnecting and supporting other family members in their own process of decision-making. And that's been so interesting for me to hear everybody's take on what they're going to do with their information and how they decide to empower themselves. I love that. And I, I mean, that is just such great advice for anyone out there who's struggling with these decisions. Uh, Roseanne said it so well, knowledge is power and you always have a choice. And I mean, that's, that's just such great advice, Roseanne. Um, so thank you for that. Um, you know, I think there's so many layers we could peel away with this, but, um, I, you know, I, I, for our listeners, I wonder if there's anything 
that you'd like to share that you wish that you had known at the time of the original diagnosis or before you started going through this? Is there, is there anything you wish you had known, um, that you, you know, you would pass on to other, um, other folks who might be at the beginning of their journey? I, you know, I've been pondering that for a really long time because you had kind of prepared me with this question. Yeah. And I, I, and I still don't have like a solid answer to that question because, and I think mainly because so much of what I know or learned, I feel like I learned along the way and perhaps that's the best way could have learned that information. I don't know if I'm making sense. But no, I, I, I totally get this. Yeah. I think this is a unique yeah. situation because you and I were talking before, before we started recording and I, it's amazing how life prepares us. And I think yeah. you were sharing your story with me and how you felt like life really prepared you before you ever got your diagnosis to handle it. And, you know, I think that's an interesting thing to kind of pull out that we don't, you know, that I don't even think about sometimes or that we don't think about is that life is preparing us for our journey and that we're growing and learning in the things that we're doing. So kind of to embrace the journey as we're going through it, you know, and um, so I think that's kind of what you were getting to, you know, you, you were well prepared because life had prepared you, which gosh, that was a gift, you know? Yes. All of that. Yes. What I, maybe instead of what I wish I would have known, maybe the biggest thing is I think exactly what you said is that every moment in life seems to shape us some way. And whether it's, whether you know what that's going to look like or you don't, um, it's pretty amazing how some life moments can really shape your trajectory in life, if you will. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it, you know, it is very powerful for anyone out there who's struggling right now, you know, with issues big or small, just trust that journey and embrace it because you never know what's down the road and, you know, how your journey today, your struggle today could be preparing you for what's to come, whether it's in your own life or your ability to help someone else. And, um, you know, also what I really connect with about your story, Roseanne, is that, um, I love how you, you know, you mentioned in the beginning and you mentioned when you were talking before our interview that, you know, you feel like this whole thing has been bigger than just you and, you know, that you really, you really feel committed to kind of connecting with others and helping them through their own journey, which, you know, which I think is fantastic. Um, and along that line, um, another question on the list. So if there's no answer, it's all, it's all good. Um, but do you have any words of encouragement that you might offer women who are going through the same challenge that you've kind of been through or something similar? Yeah, I, I would say really embracing vulnerability and, and, Meaning, and that doesn't mean every day, of course, that would be helpful, but really just tuning in to yourself, knowing what you need, connecting with yourself emotionally, asking for help, you know, allowing yourself to be truthful with others, I think is so courageous. It does take a lot of courage because I think it's so much easier and comfortable to not say anything at all or to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, or... The kind of, you know, sugarcoat thing that is comfortable for a lot of people. Or if anything, it's easier because you don't have to die deep. You can just move on and move along. And so I think connecting with yourself and owning that piece 
and and that's the mindfulness piece really is just noticing and being aware of what's coming up for you what fears do you have what anxiety do you have what scares you what you know what makes you sad what makes you worried and owning that piece and finding and it's not that it has to be shared with the whole world finding people that you can be vulnerable with because for me it was such a breath of fresh air to know that it wasn't one more thing I had to carry and one more thing I had to hide but there's people that I can be safe and open with and that that's the piece I would say I've learned the most on this journey the second thing I learned a lot about was finding gratitude that was such a healing part of my journey and I'm still is now and like to start the day and end the day with it mentally a lot of people have journals and, you know, different ways of doing it. For me, it's just my mindset, and that's how I start my day. And, again, like, I end it that way. And, find the, and I truly learned what that really meant. I think before cancer, finding gratitude might be, you know, I'm so thankful for my family. I'm thankful for this. But really, the journey, I just remember this one moment, and it's so fresh in my mind. You know, I just had a hard round of chemo. I was in bed, exhausted, could not, like, peel myself out of bed. And I remember at that moment thinking, I'm so grateful the chemo's working because I cannot get out of bed, right? And it was that moment where I knew the chemo was working. And so, and that was, like, my aha moment of that's what gratitude is. I love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. That it reminds me of what another quote that I really love. And the quote is this it is not joy that makes us grateful, it is gratitude that makes us joyful. Um, and mm-hmm. and I, you know, I really I agree. Being grateful and you know, in every day and every moment can really change the way that we look at the world. Um, and I think that's very powerful. Now we haven't really touched a whole lot on the on on your um, on your sport on your running sport. And so to wrap up here, um, I wanted to kind of come back to that because um, I you know part of this podcast is connecting to you know the ways that we are active in our world and how you know being active yeah. and exercising and you know all of those things help to make us vibrant and bring us joy. And so if you want to wrap up and just share a little bit about um you know how how you're running also cuz she's a runner listeners, she's been through all of this, all this cancer treatment and she's back to running which I think is amazing. Will you just share a little bit about how running makes you feel Roseanne and you know getting back to that and how how that was part of your journey also? Yeah. Many I mean I when I say I'm a runner, I don't. It's, That's okay. <laughs> you remember, if you're to be a runner, just means you run, right? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel so running. I think for a lot of people, it means different things to a lot of people. And now it feels so different. And running now feels more like a comeback journey for me, me proving to myself, to my body, and, and being grateful for my body that I can move and that I got through something so hard. And so when I run and when I'm training for a half marathon or I'm doing something, it's every day such a reminder of how strong my body is. And, you know, I try not to get caught up in, oh, my gosh, I'm so much slower than I ever was. But holy cow. My body is strong. I'm moving and I'm running and I'm 
meeting milestones and goals. And so I think the running and just exercising in general for me is about being emotionally strong, physically strong, and again, a reminder of how grateful I am for my body, my body that got through so much and it's still getting through. Yeah. And I, I think that is what running does for me, no matter how fast or how slow I may be. I'm getting from point A to point B and I did it. I did it. I freaking did it. <laughs> that feels really good. And I feel like I end my run with that. Like I did it. Yeah, I think that's so awesome. I have a I have a girlfriend. I didn't tell you this in our in our conversation before we started recording, but I have a girlfriend who lost her mom and her sister both to cancer. And um, you know, of course I lost my mom and she and I have connected a lot over that, but she also is a runner. Um and we often say that we just have those days where we're just grateful that we have our legs to carry us and that we're out in the beautiful fresh air and, you know, the sunshine or the rain, whatever it may be. And just, it's embracing that moment of gratitude, you know, and it doesn't matter how fast, how slow it's just, it's just getting out there um, and being so grateful for our bodies. So I can, yeah, yeah, totally relate to that. Um, Well, wonderful. I, um, I would love to encourage people to follow Roseanne. Um, she is on Instagram at curls and style. And again, you can go, can they find a link there, Roseanne, if they want to, um, purchase something from Stella and dot for, to raise money for a woman diagnosed with cancer. Is there a link on your Instagram? There is a link on my Instagram. It's my, um, Stella and dot link and they can shop there. Send me a DM. I could totally help you out one-on-one. I do online parties, in-person parties, and I also, part of that platform really is about educating women about health prevention, early detection, and how to mentally, physically kind of support yourself, so... That's amazing. So I encourage our listeners to follow Roseanne. And Roseanne, I thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your wisdom. Um, it's so inspiring. And I, I know it's just going to reach out and, and touch some folks who are going through some similar struggles. So thank you so much for being with us and um, for sharing my mantra, um, Connected, We Can Rise. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.